the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise, designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it. Now, here is your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Yes, indeed. Hello, my friends. We are not only on the air, we're in the air right now. And we've got a lot of things to share with you that are going to be remarkable. So you may want to pay close attention to this. And also, when we come into the podcast archives in a couple days, uh, you may want to uh, earmark this radio broadcast because it's going to be something that you need to know about and will be wanting to refer to on into the eternities. (laughs) I may be exaggerating a little bit, but who knows? I want you to meet my uh, co-host for the entire two hours this is a man named Kevin Fisher. Uh, he is tied to an outreach called Ark Discovery, artdiscovery.com. And I'm going to just introduce him, and then I'll embarrass him by speaking about him in his own presence. Uh, Kevin Fisher, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for the opportunity to share here, Cass. It's a pleasure. And uh, one of the things I really love, is this is a topic that is Really, if you're an eschatological kind of person or just a reader of the Bible, this is a topic that should command your attention because these are biblical things that have gone on in the past, but the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, that which was, is, and that which is shall be because there's nothing new under the sun, and there indeed is nothing new under the sun. We're going to talk about things like Noah's Ark, but that had preeminence back in the day, but is impactful today as was and is Sodom and Gomorrah and the Red Sea crossing and Mount Sinai. (laughs) And how about the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, so many different things. And you, I identify you as a protege um, of the... uh, of the late Ron Wyatt. Why don't we just launch out? You tell a little bit about uh, these kind of things, and in the next segment we'll begin talking about some of the eschatological uh, digs and so yeah. forth. But yeah. before we do, and I forgive me for jumping on in, I have a ministry of jumping on in them, but I want to <laughs> I want to yeah. blow a little shofar blast because when, oftentimes, uh, Kevin, when I we do a, yeah. a, a pivotal show, I like to say. You know, biblically speaking, when there's something that's noteworthy, a shofar blast is blown. And this is also the beginning of the month of Adar as well, so I think it's appropriate on several counts. So I'm going to blow this little shofar blast, and then we're going to start, if that'd be okay with you. Okay, here we go. Feels Great, good. we're ready to take off. <laughs> okay, this this plane is launching right now, and you're the pilot, so go ahead, yes. Kevin Fisher. Yeah, so Ron Wy is the gentleman who discovered all the things we're going to talk about this evening, the, the Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah, Red Sea Crossing, the real Mount Sinai over in Saudi Arabia, and the Ark of the Covenant. And I met Mr. Wyatt in 1984 at a presentation here in the Nashville area, 
and it just changed my life. Uh, Mr. Wyatt was a nurse anesthetist in the Nashville area, and in the 1970s, he was looking into possibly going out to the Noah's Ark site that was featured in Life magazine in 1960, and he prayed, Lord, help me find something that will help someone get to heaven. It wasn't about, Lord, I want to find something and get rich and famous. Mm -hmm. It was, Lord, help me find something that will help someone get to heaven. He had a burden for souls. And so his first trip out there, he refound this site across the valley from Mount Ararat. And when they were out there, they didn't know exactly where to look, but they hired this taxi, and they said a prayer, God, help us help us to find the ark. And the taxi just started driving down these roads, and three times that day, the taxi stopped. God had stalled their taxi. At each place, they put a pile of rocks there. And uh, the next day, they walked out from those rocks, and they found the remains of the ark, the remains of anchor stones that hung from the ark, and the remains of Noah's house with uh, grave markers in the the front yard. So God, in the very first trip, he performed miracles to help them find these uh, important things. And so this was a sign to Ron, hey, God is working with me. And the next year, 78, he found the Red Sea crossing spot um, there in Nueva, Egypt, and he knew then in Mount Sinai had to be over in Saudi Arabia, which is where the biblical Midian is located in Saudi Arabia, northwest Saudi Arabia. It matches the Bible. And um, then on that trip, he had a supernatural event there in the Garden Tomb grounds uh, where God spoke through him, uh, saying, there's Jeremiah's grotto, and the Ark of the Covenant is in there. And so within 12 months, he had found the Noah's Ark, Red Sea Crossing, knew Mount Sinai was over in Saudi Arabia, and knew that the Ark of the Covenant should be under the ground there in the Garden Tomb grounds. So four things within 12 months, God was going to work with Ron. So Ron worked as a nurse anesthetist. We estimate he spent approximately a million dollars of his own money mm-hmm. traveling 138 times overseas to work with these discoveries. Some of those trips entail just doing presentations in Australia and so forth, but most of the trips involved his working with the sites, doing testing, um, more research on them and so forth. And so he was bringing, bringing out this evidence of the discoveries. And so what do these discoveries show? These discoveries show past judgments of man. What happened at the flood? God had to destroy the wicked, but oh he brought his faithful through. Sodom and Gomorrah, he brought his faithful out. All the wicked, you know, millions of people were were destroyed. And the Red Sea crossing even, God led his people through, but then he destroyed the wicked. And in Mount Sinai, he wrote the law that involves judgment of man. So God is bringing out these discoveries for us here at the end of time that he wants folks to see that, hey, you know, I judged people in the past. Look at these discoveries. I'm getting ready to judge you. Yes. And so these discoveries are a wake-up call to mankind. And Ron was faithful, uh, you know, 22 years he spent working on the discoveries. Um, there was a lot of criticism. The number one thing people would think is, hey, how could one man find all these things? Mm-hmm. He has to be a fraud. Mm-hmm. And so they would have a knee-jerk reaction of just discounting everything. Ah, oh, can't be true. 
But as we'll talk about each one of these discoveries one by one, you'll see that they are true. God has preserved them. Um, some people will say, you know, the majority are not accepting these, so they must be false. But, you know, when Jesus came to this earth, yes, exactly. did the majority praise him, the leaders praise him, welcome him in? You know, no, he was rejected, sadly, because the forces of darkness yes. work on men, work on their minds to say, reject this, reject this. Yes. Kevin. So, yeah. I, what I'm hearing here, and I know, and I sometimes I've used the phraseology that you uh, were in our protege of, uh, of Ron Wyatt, and I think that's probably accurate. Would, is that an appropriate uh, definition of who you are. But before you answer that, let me also say, I've only talked with you and done emails back and forth a, a, a few times, but I can tell you this, you're going to blush and go, oh, yeah, come on. I'm going to, I'm going to say this, but it's, it's very clear to me that the same humility that uh, Ron Wyatt had, Kevin Fisher has, and being a protege of him is probably one of the higher compliments a person could ever receive. Well, thank you. But yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to get the word out there. Right after Ron died in 1999, I started traveling out to these sites, started my website in 2000. And I've been just been trying to get the word out there to folks that these things are real. God really has brought this evidence of truth out. Ron called them a show-and-tell demonstration of truth, mm-hmm. and that's what they are. So I've made 18 trips overseas working with the discoveries. I've seen the evidence there. I found man-made metal on the side of Noah's Ark. You know, the, the brimstone, Sodom and Gomorrah, and so forth. I've seen the blackened peak over in Saudi Arabia multiple times. And these things are just 100% real. And God, through his love, he's preserved these and has brought them out for, for mankind that he loves. Oh he wants them to see this just before he judges. The Mark of the Beast Law Showdown is coming very soon. Oh and God wants this evidence to come out. Absolutely. We're, we're talking with Kevin Fisher a remarkable man, and he is a man uh, that has visited and can uh, lay full credence to the many sites that we're going to talk about in this broadcast for Come Together San Diego. We'll talk a little bit more about Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Red Sea crossing, Mount Sinai in Arabia. I've got, you know, I've, I've, I'm a eschatological guy myself. The Ark of the Covenant is one of my favorite topics, too, because I'm a King David guy, and the Ark of the Covenant was vital in the ruling and reigning of uh, King David, but also the son of King David coming soon to a world near you. So would you be so kind as to let me take a little break here, and then we'll excavate a little bit more on the topic of Noah's Ark. You know, in Southern California, I don't know about in... uh, in Tennessee, but it's tumultuous rain these days. We've had an, an inordinate amount of rain, and every time I see it pounding on my window and windshield, I go, is this like the days of Noah? Yeah, I said with, yeah. a, with a giggle, but uh, right. who knows? We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but uh, many topics, my friend, that you, if you love the Scripture, you're going to say, oh, I've read about these in Scripture. Yeah. But God put them in Scripture for us to uh, be forewarned, number one, and be blessed and empowered by, number two. We'll talk more about these and many more topics when Kevin Fisher and I come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Kaz Taylor. Well, welcome to this remarkable special segment, actually two segments. I'm going to be talking to you about topics that are 
germane in today's society, but also things that are tied to Jesus as in discovering the Jewish Jesus. <laughs> and uh, you, as my listening friends, know that uh, this is a topic or related topic to many of the things that we talk about on Come Together San Diego. I want to introduce you to a newfound friend. His name is Rabbi Schneider. And let me say hello to him, and then I'll tell you a little bit about him to make him blush a little bit. Rabbi Schneider, how are you? Yes, God bless you. Thank you so much for having me on today, my brother. Great to make your acquaintance today for the first time. Yes, but this shall not be the last, I do believe. Uh, you have a broadcast going on in uh, at Salem Media and other, other parts of the nation as well, but also specifically in San Diego County. Uh, from actually 11.30 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday. That's major. That's exciting. And especially when I heard about the topic and the person, that would be you, the topic being discovering the Jewish Jesus and discovering the com. That's amazing. But Rabbi, I wanted to get a little bit of insights on the who, why, what, where, when and how of Rabbi Schneider, because a lot of people in, on my broadcast are familiar, you know, in Genesis it talks about uh, the that God gave uh, signs and seasons, days and years. We we study on this show, we study the, the months and the years and the days and uh, the germane things, including Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David, and Temple and things like that. We discuss that frequently. So when they hear about you, they're going to want to immediately tune in once again, uh, 11.30 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday on KPRZ. Rabbi Schneider, give us the uptake and the lowdown. <laughs> well... Well, in a, in a nutshell, I was born in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio in 1958 and uh, grew up in a very, very Jewish community. It was actually called Beechwood, Ohio. It's a suburb of Cleveland, and it was listed as having the second highest concentration of Jews outside of Israel anywhere in the world when really? I was growing wow. up there. Yeah, now that doesn't mean that there was as many Jews in Beechwood as there are in Los Angeles or New York City, but the concentration of yes. them. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, in a very, very strong culturally Jewish environment. I was bar mitzvah in a conservative synagogue. However, my family, like probably the majority of Jewish families today, we were more culturally Jewish than religiously Jewish. Went to synagogue on uh, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah and celebrated Passover. And as I indicated, went to Hebrew school till I was 13 years old to prepare for my bar mitzvah. But it was really never about God. It was more uh, just about learning how to read Hebrew, learning the prayers, and uh, it was it was a cultural experience. Yes. And uh, I was blessed to grow up in, 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 in that kind of a very, um, you know, really colorful environment. And uh, as you know, the Jewish community is very tight, but it wasn't a religious environment. But what happened to me is at, at the age of 20, I was going through an identity crisis. I was a very committed athlete in high school. And when high school ended, I kind of lost my identity because I, I realized that I used to wrestle, uh, that it didn't really mean anything anymore. So I was really lost without my identity and searching. And it was in the midst of reading a New Age book called Autobiography of a Yogi by a man named Paramanji Yogananda. And there was a picture in this book of this guy levitating off the ground in a yogi position. Oh, my. And I was, oh yeah, I always had a strong faith in God, just a ch- simple childlike faith. I said, God, if this is real, I said, if that guy can really levitate off the ground, I found my new goal. I want to be able to levitate off the ground because this is a higher reality than making money. It's not going to end like wrestling ended. And I only imagine, Kaz, how great I would feel levitating off the ground. 
Oh my! Isn't there a scripture that says uh, "a little levitate levitateth the whole loaf"? No, I'm I'm sorry, I'm mixing scripture. <laughs> that's an interesting I, 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 that's an interesting paradigm there, my friend. I, I had to. I told you there's going to be a little corn coming your way. <laughs> so well, let, let me ask you there, brother. Let, let me ask you a question. Yeah, you know, when you say wrestling, I wrestled in college as well. I don't remember the weight class was around 160 for me, but not nearly probably as as good as you. But nonetheless, when you talk about yeah, bar and things like that. Did, were you, did you enter into your studies from an Orthodox perspective or Messianic perspective? Well, it was neither, because I was, it was a conservative synagogue, so there's Orthodox, which are the most religious, yes. then there's conservative, then there's Reform, which are liberal. So I was very much in a conservative synagogue. I yes. was, you know, we were not, so that's what happened to me when I was in the midst of this identity crisis, reading this book, Autobiography of a Yogi, I went to sleep one night. It was a hot August night in 1978. Now, keep in mind, Kaz, no one had ever told me about Jesus. We had never talked about Jesus in my home. Jesus was as far away to me, I'm not exaggerating, as a man on the moon. I mean, I had never even considered Jesus. He never entered my mind. To me, that was just something that was weird for me as a Jewish person and, you know, wasn't wasn't for me. No one had ever witnessed to me. I had never read the New Testament, but on this hot August night in 1978, in, in Beach, uh, in, uh, while I was living in Pepper Pike at the time, I grew up in Beachwood, and then we moved to Pepper Pike. Jesus appeared to me in a vision of the night. I was 20 years old, and that's how I came to faith, just like that. God revealed himself to me. What happened was I was awoken from my sleep into what I would describe as a conscious state of awareness. Suddenly, as I was aware that I wasn't sleeping, I was like supernaturally aware something's going on. My eyes were closed. Then in color, Jesus appeared on the cross. I could see the terrain that the cross was staked in the ground in. There were some people looking at him from a distance, which I read later in the New Testament that he was being crucified. They looked on from the distance. And then a ray of red light from straight through the sky, from even above the blue, beamed down on his head. And when I saw that ray of red light beam down on his head, I knew and understood the symbolism that the red light was coming from God. It was coming from straight through the blue clouds way up above in the heavens. And I knew enough as an American to know the person on the cross was Jesus. Oh, my. So I knew that God was revealing himself to me, showing me that Jesus was the way to him. My, my. You know what is I, you know, you, you're very sensitive to things that are going on in the world right now. I can just tell because I've visited some of your, uh, uh, some of your broadcast uh, content. But the, the, in the world right now, he, the Lord himself is revealing himself to many tribes, nations, and tongues in many different uh, cities, states, nations, and parts of the world. Would you agree? We've only got about three minutes uh, in this segment, but I just wanted to ask that question. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. You know, Remember, Yeshua, Jesus said to Peter, who do they say that I am? And he said, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Yeshua said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus followed that up. He said, upon this rock, he said, I will build my church. And I know that, uh, you know, the Catholics have a way of interpreting the rock, and the uh, Protestants have a way of interpreting the rock. You know, the Catholics say it's the papacy or the Pope. The Protestants say, you know, it was Peter's confession, you're the Christ. I like to connect with the fact that I, I believe it's revelation. Because you said flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. So get to your, to your point, Kaz. Yes, I think that uh, God is supernaturally revealing himself to people all over the earth, Muslims, uh, Jewish people. You know, every, every, every tribe, tongue, and nation are receiving revelation. Jesus said, everybody that hears and learns from the Father will come to me. Oh, my. 
My listening friend, I know that you're engaged with this conversation because this is a person whom I wanted you to meet, and and you can tell why now because of his heart cry, his Judeo-Christian points of view, but also this man is a broadcaster on the Salem Media Group stations, in particular on KPRZ, 1130 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday. His name is Rabbi Schneider, and the topic is discovering the Jewish Jesus. And I know you as a listening friend for Come Together San Diego, you embrace this wholeheartedly. So I wanted to give you a little flavor of the man and his character, and then we'll talk a little bit in the next segment about some of the topics that are pertinent for NOW. now. So we've got about a minute and a half in this segment left, Rabbi. Any parting thoughts for this segment to lead us into the next segment after the commercial break? Well, you're hearing, Cass, your love for the Hebraic roots of the, or the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. I think we're living in times right now where the Church is becoming so weakened and compromised due to the cultural pressure. One of the ways that uh, those that self-identify as Christians are backing off is by them insisting that Jesus is the only way. But Yeshua is the only way. Jesus is the only way. The Scripture says there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, but the name of Jesus or Yeshua. And when believers understand the Jewish roots of their faith, they will be grounded in the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be. There is no other pathway to a relationship with God but through him. Yes, right. And I appreciate you identifying Jesus and also another name that is used, Yeshua. Uh, A lot of the Messianic Jews prefer calling him Yeshua rather than Jesus. And it's the same thing. It's like calling you uh, Rabbi or Rabbi Schneider. I mean, both of them get your attention. <laughs> so, you know, okay. what we're, we're going to spend the next segment talking about, we're talking about a general overview here, Rabbi, about you and uh, who you are and the, your heart cry for uh, salvation and the truths of Scripture through Yeshua, Jesus. In the next segment, I'd like for you to dig a little bit more deeply on the specifics of what's going on in the world today. You know, there are a lot of things that you would call, I'll use the word monikers or different uh, different sim- symbolism, it's more than symbolism, but we, symbolism, but we'll use that for our reference, a different symbolism that's tied to either God or godlessness because the enemy is a, a, a big um, counterfeit. So I, I'm excited about uh, you talking about one of those topics in this next segment. My listening friend, Rabbi Schneider, uh, with Discovering the Jewish Jesus on Mondays through Fridays, 11.30 a.m. to noon on KPRZ, Rabbi Schneider and Kaz will be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPRZ. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on KPRZ. Well, welcome back, my friends. Come Together San Diego. As you know, our broadcasts really deal heavily with a number of topics. One of my favorite topics is tied to Judeo-Christian points of view. And boy, oh boy, do we have a wonderful person on with this on the second segment here uh, of this portion. And his name is Rabbi Schneider. And in the first segment, uh, if you were with us, you know we were talking a little bit about the who, why, what, where, when, and how of Rabbi Schneider and the ministry of discovering the Jewish Jesus. Now, in the second segment, he wanted to spend some time on one of the uh, truths that has been distorted by the enemy through the years, and I'm going to let him actually set the stage for this, and I'm going to let him go to give him all the time we can give him. Rabbi Schneider, good to have you, and what would you like to share with us on this segment? Rabbi Schneider. Oh, God bless you. God bless you, my friend. It's just something that uh, it just suddenly 
Kaz rose up in me. Uh, uh, we just the whole push upon God's people and our culture of the LGBT movement, the gender fluidity, that it's not it's not just out there anymore. It's being so forced upon us, yes. so forced upon the church. And the church has has relinquished their voice to stand up to this. And I finally got to the place, by the grace of God, I just was so sick and tired of seeing the church silenced that something rose up in me. And we launched an explosive movement just about 10 days ago. And the movement is called Taking the Rainbow Back. Now, I want to be very clear because our whole uh, our whole campaign through the Internet is through our website, takingtherainbowback.com. But I want to stress that exact wording because there are other websites that are out there that, that are similar. Yes. So like one's taking back the rainbow and one's reclaiming the rainbow. But my uh, mission here is it's specifically taking back the rainbow. Domain name. Taking the rainbow back dot com. No, 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 no. Taking, taking back 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 the back rainbow dot com. Very good. Very good. By yes. the way, Rabbi, let me just give you this up front here. There is no, there are no holds barred in this interview. If there's, you know, sometimes you may go on someplace that you have to be delicate in the use of your words. Not yeah. here. I invite you to be as uh, between the eyes and heartfelt as you possibly can. There's no breaking these rules on Come Together San Diego. I'm going to lay it back to you. Tell us all about it, Rabbi Schneider. Okay. Well, most of us are aware, and you first of all, of the tremendous cultural war that we're in. And it's more than a cultural war. It's a war against light and darkness. Yes. So the first thing that I want to say before just diving right into the head of the battle here, and I really want this to come through because if Jesus' love doesn't come through, then, then something's way off. I mean, my heart goes out to anybody that is trapped in same-sex attraction because I don't feel that most people that are in that lifestyle shows that lifestyle. I think that many of them are victims. Oftentimes it's a problem of identity, lack of a father, lack of a mother. Many have been sexually abused. So I just want to say right off the bat, I am extremely sensitive to people that are caught in that. But there's a difference between loving people and condoning a behavior that is, that is outside of God's divine creation pattern. Homosexuality is everybody that's listening, or at least the majority, is absolutely one of the primary breaks of God's divine design and creation. Because our first identity as human beings, and we're God's highest creation, created in His image, is in the beginning, the Lord created them male and female. Yes. And of course, what we have going on right now is a complete blurring of that. Anything goes. The whole rainbow symbol to the LGBT community is expressing that this is the spectrum. All these different colors are an expression of the way individuals sexually express themselves. And our symbol of the rainbow includes all the colors. Of course, there's only six, and they're, you know, they're not according to God's divine pattern. They're upside down, but they're trying to say that our rainbow, the LGBT rainbow, it's basically saying that all forms of human expression of sexuality is beautiful and good. Yeah, everything's acceptable. All of it. Yes. Everything's acceptable. Danger, danger. And, uh, it, yes, and beyond <laughs> that, what's going on is that uh, anybody that doesn't agree with that mindset, which we absolutely repudiate, is now silenced in the culture. And I know this is not a new word, but I mean, it's true. I mean, you, we, I, literally, I'm seeing it happen before my very eyes that Christian uh, sources 
are now silencing their mouth on this issue because they're too afraid afraid of the kickback. Oh, yes, whether yes. Whether them losing a license, whether their finances going down. And I just got sick and tired of it, and, and I am sick and tired of it. A- absolutely. And by the way, Rabbi, you just need to know we've got about five minutes left in this segment, so lay it on us. Okay. Okay, my friend. Thank you. So I would encourage our listeners, first of all, to go to my website, takingtherainbowback.com, and listen to my 20-minute launch of that. I've got a YouTube video up that outlines exactly what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. I would, for, for the few minutes we have left, I'd, I'd like to take a second and talk about the rainbow from a biblical perspective, because as most of our listeners know, it's the sign that God gave Noah in the book of Bereshit or Genesis yes. of, the, of, of the covenant that he made to never again destroy humanity with the flood. And it just reflects God's tenderness towards his creation and towards humanity. And then we see the rainbow again in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, verse 28, where Ezekiel sees a divine being who's the Lord, and he said it's, it, was actually, uh, it was actually Yeshua, and uh, John, uh, Ezekiel, rather, described that around this being of light that he saw, there was a radiance like a rainbow. And then we get to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 3, and John on the island of Patmos, as we know, who wrote the book of Revelation, he saw the Lord on the throne, and his throne was surrounded yes. by a rainbow. rainbow, yes. So, and so the, the rainbow is an expression of God's light. And many of us know that all the colors of a rainbow are in white light. And the way that rainbows are formed is that when moisture droplets or rain droplets fall, I'm, I'm sorry, when, 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 when light hits a, a moisture droplet or a rain droplet, the, the rain acts as a prism, prism and yes. divides the light. So, yeah, that white light hits the rain droplet or the moisture particle, then the moisture or the rain droplet bends the wavelength of the light to form different colors. Yes. So it's really interesting that God is light, and within light are all the colors of a rainbow, and the prism separates out the colors, and that's what we see yes. when we're seeing the rainbow. And what it, what the, and what also, the forgive me go ahead for, I didn't mean no, please, sometimes no, you I go ahead my brother no it, no 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 please. when I when I when I look at this I just go the magnitude of God and it, it, it is really um, it's really remarkable but the uh, wiles of the enemy tries to uh, counterfeit these things and leads people astray even to their own destruction but if you have the the right focus on God's intent and character this rainbow uh, bespeaks. God's promises like nothing else. And so we've got about uh, three minutes left in this uh, wonderful last segment on on this portion of my show. Uh, How do you want to tie it together here as we close this? By the way, my listening friend, you're listening to Rabbi Schneider. He is on uh, Cape Praise from 1130 a.m. to noon, Monday through Friday, called Discovering the Jewish Jesus. And you can find more about that specifically and other things on Discovering the Jewish Jesus Com. And once again, the, the other website about the rainbow, I have written down two different ways. Is it taking the rainbow back or taking back the rainbow.com? No, it's taking the rainbow back. Okay. So taking the rainbow back.com. And if our viewers, our listeners would go to the website to there, they'll find a, a launch in which I explain, for example, to your point, Kaz, you look at the colors of a rainbow, there are seven colors in the rainbow. Isn't that interesting that seven is a holy number? (laughs) And then there's three primary colors of the rainbow, right? And that's another sacred number in Scripture. So on my teaching there, 
on takingtherainbowback.com, I go through this and talk about in Scripture where the number seven is used, where the number three Three, is used, and how this rainbow is a symbol of glory of God. So, yeah, I think it's important. It's, 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 it's basically we're launching a movement, and you people can purchase uh, uh, apparel on the website. And by the way, we're not making a dime on this. Yes. And then we actually have, we're encouraging people to go and wear their apparel out into public places, and we're encouraging churches to do outreaches. We're all, you know, there's a group of people from the church going out in public places on the weekend of July 28th to the 30th, handing out water bottles and tracks, oh wearing their rainbow garb with scripture on it. And we're just basically trying to, to, to give God's people the backbone to stand up and to not allow themselves to be intimidated. Because if we back down here, what's the next thing we're going to back down from? Well, you name it. And it may go in progressive uh, denial, but uh, I'll tell you what, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be primed and ready for uh, positive movements and declarations and trusting God. And sometimes a lot of people in the ecclesia, the called out ones, are um, kind of diving back underneath the rocks. That's not where we need to be. Rabbi, it's, it's such a great pleasure talking with you. We're running out of time here. But I want to remind our listening friends, if you love what you've heard in these two special segments here of Rabbi Schneider uh, and the Discovering the Jewish Jesus show, and in particular, this particular topic, the uh, takingtherainbowback.com. You need to actually dig in and go to those websites and that information, and you can listen to them live Monday through Friday on KPRZ, 1130 a.m. to noon on KPRZ, Monday through Friday. Rabbi uh, Rabbi Schneider, we only have about uh, 20 or 30 seconds, but it's time for you to say a blessing over our listeners, and then I have to return to the uh, uh, Come Together San Diego regular uh, uh, broadcasting topic that we're doing right now. But I wanted to take these two segments out to talk about God's heart through YOU, Rabbi Schneider. So a quick blessing. I'm sorry about that, but you know how sometimes we have to live by the clock. Rabbi Schneider. Understood. Thank you for having me on, Kaz, and thank you for listening, my listening friends today. Yavarechecha Yahweh v'ishmarecha. Ya'er Yahweh panave lecha v'ichunecha. May the Lord bless each and every one of you. Thank you for your ears today. Thank you, Rabbi Schneider. My listening friend, we will return to our regular programming right after the commercial break. Rabbi Schneider, God bless you mightily. My listening friends, we'll be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on KPraise with Kaz Taylor. Welcome back, my friends. You know, I keep looking at the clock and go, this is a 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time broadcast, and the segments go so quickly, we barely scratch the surface of some of the most poignant uh, topics in Bible history. We spend a little time talking about Noah's Ark, a little time talking about Sodom and Gomorrah um, and the Dead Sea area there. But it's time to change the verbiage from the Dead Sea to the Red Sea. And we have my co-host for this entire two-hour period of time, Kevin Fisher. He's, a pro- I would say, a prodigy of uh, Ron Wyatt, one of the finest explorers, but one of the most meek and humble guys. Uh, yes. Not in it for the money, for sure. He's in it for the ministry of changing people's lives and making people realize that the God of the Bible is the God of today. 
So I'm going to hand the baton to you early on here, Kevin, and I want you to talk a little bit about the the Red Sea crossing. But before you do, I mean, a lot of times people go, what's he even talking about? Spend just a moment identifying this from a scriptural perspective and what was happening that made this site such a spectacular historical site, the Red Sea crossing. What was going on? Moses and the children of Israel, what was going on with them? Yeah, so they were fleeing Egypt. You know, Pharaoh had given them the right to leave, and they had everything packed and ready to go. In the middle of the night, they took off heading out of Egypt. Um, and so they were heading to the Mount Sinai area. And along the way, you know, they encountered this body of water, the Red Sea. And they had to, you know, how do we get to the other side? And, you know, the Pharaoh's army is coming up behind us because Pharaoh's now, you know, chasing us. And so God told Moses to stretch his rod out, and the waters parted. And then they crossed over to the other side. On dry ground. On dry ground, yes. And when Pharaoh's army tried going across, they got, got out into the middle of it, basically, and their wheels came off the chariots, we're told, and the water came crashing down on top of them, and every one of them died. These were hundreds of thousands of, of, of men. And so God performed an incredible, incredible miracle there at the uh, Red Sea crossing. Now, well, spend a little yeah. bit of time. Oh, okay, that's the, the scripture of it, but a lot of people scratch their heads and go, how in the world could this happen? So uh, Ron Wyatt did a little bit of excavation and due diligence, and he made some amazing discoveries. Is there a tie-in between the Red Sea and the Reed Sea, or is that something that I've just heard in speculation? Yes, it's it's the same thing. It's the Gulf of Aqaba. It's the right-hand finger of the Red Sea. It's on the eastern side of the Sinai Peninsula. Now, the traditional side is up there at the Bitter Lakes in the Gulf of Suez, it's right there next to Goshen. I mean, it's just right there in their backyard, and people say that's a traditional site, and that's where they cross. No, no that is no, to- totally false, it. totally false. Yes. Because when they were at the beach of the crossing site, they were scolding Moses and said, why have you taken us out of Egypt to die? So they had to be out of Egypt when they were on the beach there at the crossing site. Yes. My my she, friend, if you if you think about the area there, there's the... There's the, um, uh, what was the, the first, uh, there's it's like a finger there of two different, two different water sources right there, but that's still, both of them are part of the Red Sea, but they, they were at the, what would we, what would we say at the, the, um, it's at the, the Suez, Gulf of Suez. Yeah, the Gulf the, of the Suez Bitter, is one of them, but then there's the other, which is Bitter Lakes, that's Aqaba. there on the western side, then on the eastern side of the Sinai Peninsula is the Gulf of Aqaba. Yes. And that's where we're going to head over to. So if you cross the Sinai Peninsula, um, Philo said it was a long and desolate journey. So we need to look for a distant location. So we've been across the Sinai Peninsula. It's it's a flat area, which is great to go across, you know, rather speedily, which is what they did. And the mountains, there is a mountain range that you would run into. Now, Ron rented a airplane at Elot, Israel, the southern tip of Israel, and asked the pilot, whose name was Moses, he said, Moses, <laughs> Moses, can the children of Israel make their way through the mountains to the Gulf of Aqaba? And Moses said, yes, I'll show you. And so he flew them down to 
um, the beach there at Nueva, Egypt. Nueva, Egypt. And it's five miles long, three miles across. And in order to get to there, you have to go through this winding mountain range. It's about 15 to 20 miles. We've been there a couple of times. And they, it's a, you know, rather narrow, and there's no way to go over top of these mountains. And so the, Josephus said that the mountains there had enclosed them you know, on their journey. So they did finally make it there to the beach area, and that is where they crossed over. Now, when you go to the actual beach, the exact site where they crossed over, you'll see that the beach, the uh, sand, the rocks and everything have been melted together. Now, how could that have happened, you know, the, the, the melting of the sand and the rocks and so forth. Well, the pillar of fire stood there at some point. Pillar of fire melted the beach there. And today it's hard like concrete, which is really amazing. And so what is on the other side of that? On the other side of the body of water is Midian. That's where we're told in the Bible where Mount Sinai is, over in Saudi Arabia. You look across the water and there's Saudi Arabia. So, in Ron's first visit there in 1978, they found this column laying in the edge of the water. This was a column and column that Solomon had erected to mark the spot, and it had been pushed over into the water. It had uh, water erosion on it, and so they came back uh, months later, got their scuba diving licenses, and their first dive out in the water, they found the chariot wheel. Oh my coral-encrusted chariot wheel. And so there have been approximately 10 or so of these, uh, 10 to 12, that have been found in that area. Most of them should be out in the middle, where it's rather deep, and then over toward Saudi Arabia, toward that beach, because we're told you know, some of the bodies were washed up on the shore there, um, on, on the, uh, the beach landing on the other side, that would be in Saudi Arabia. And so there's just a few that they found on the Egyptian side, and some are uh, four-spoke wheels, six-spoke, and eight-spoke. Oh Ron Wyatt found an eight-spoke and took the hub into Cairo to show it to the head of antiquities there, and he immediately said, that's an eight-spoke uh, chariot hub, and it's from the 18th dynasty. Well, the 18th dynasty is when the exodus took place from Egypt. Oh, my. So that immediately dated, you know, that event, those chariot wheels, to the exact time of the 18th dynasty. So they did find a couple of uh, gold-plated wheels. We're told that all the chariots of Egypt and 600 choice chariots were involved. Now, the choice chariots would have been gold-plated or covered in... Ron Wyatt does have some pictures of a, a gold-plated one that okay. they left on the bottom. They didn't have a permit to pull it up. You're not technically not supposed to pull things out of the water. Oh, but anyway, um, there was no coral on it because it was gold, and coral doesn't, coral doesn't grow in gold. So we've so only got about two minutes left, and yeah. I, I would love to have you wrap this up. But, you know, I have yeah. some friends who have been uh, resolute in their study of the uh, Red Sea, and some of them say there was kind of a plateau that, upon which the reeds were growing, and when the wind blew, that whole that whole precipice area, that whole s- slightly uh, 
uh, reed barren area was a rocky, kind of a, a rocky plateau. And when the wind blew, that whole area, the children of Israel could walk out on that on dry ground. And then when the the uh, Egyptians came, they came down, and God closed the water. But also they went off the precipice or the plateau, and and they drowned. Is that is there any accuracy from that that from well, your discoveries? I, I think, I think only, that, I'm sorry that we only have a couple minutes for okay. you for you to solve the world's yeah. challenges. But <laughs> no, there you but go. I, I believe, yeah, I believe that's a traditional site. Now this body of water at the north end of this body of water, 50 miles from the north, is modern day Elat, and we're told that Solomon had his seaport at Elath, E-L-A-T-H, which is modern day Elat, and it, the Bible says that, that Elath was on the Red Sea. Well, this body of water, the Gulf of Aqaba, is called the Red Sea in the Bible, which is also the Reed Sea oh, or Sea I of see. Reeds. Mm-hmm. So this body of water is the correct Red Sea. It's confirmed by that seaport up to the north, Elath, or modern-day Elat, the southern tip of Israel. So this is a biblical Red Sea body of water. It's just amazing. And Solomon knew where the sea, where the crossing site was because it was just 50 miles from his seaport, and that column was erected by Solomon because there was a matching column found on the other side with Hebrew writing still on it saying, Death, Mizraim, Yahweh, Pharaoh, Moses, Solomon, and so these columns marked the crossing site of the Red Sea, and Solomon knew exactly that this event was just 400 years before him. And it's it's amazing wow. that these columns, you know, uh, were still there in 1984 uh, when Ron found the one over on the Saudi side. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now. I, I'm so sorry that we have to yeah. keep truncating these things. I hate it. We could talk for days on these topics. But once again, my listening friend, you could find these books and more uh, support materials and also Bible inspiration uh, content as well in uh, a website. It's, this book's called, uh, uh, book magazine's called Revealing God's Treasures Illustrated for the Time of the End. And you can find it by going to arcdiscovery.com. So we're going to talk on some other topics upcoming here. One of them includes um, Mount Sinai. And uh, I know we're running out of time in this segment, so we have to go. But stay with me, will you, Kevin Fisher? And we will excavate some more when we come right back. Yes. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. I'll tell the world. Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends, to a captivating broadcast. And I'm not saying it's captivating because of anything that I do, but it's merely me bringing the right kind of guests and the right kind of topics that are captivating. And I just kind of sit back and ask a question here and there. And I let prolific, wise men and women, this particular person is Kevin Fisher, and he is what I would call a protege to the great explorer and pioneer, Ron Wyatt, who has made major discoveries uh, on biblical sites throughout the Holy Land. And we have talked about uh, Noah's Ark. We talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. We talked about the Red Sea crossing. It's time to talk a little bit about a place that was a place that God told Moses, you've been going around this mountain long enough, kind of time to go on forward to find the promised land. And that place was called Mount Sinai. And, uh, you know, there's a, the Bible is filled with things like that. 
And it talks about it throughout the Old Testament, but also in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere as well about Mount Sinai. I'm going to hand the baton to you, Kevin. By the, by the way, my listening friend, this is a program you're going to want to revisit numerous times. You can go to my uh, website and go to just put Come Together San Diego in your search engine, uh, and if, or you can communicate with me at Come Together San Diego, all one word, at kprz.com and access me there. But also you can just put into your search engine, Come Together San Diego, and it should give you a link that will actually take you to all the previous shows, and you'll be able to find this show archived in the podcast uh, a couple days, from two or three days from now. And we're, 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 we're now, this broadcast date is uh, Saturday, February 25th. So I'm going to hand the baton to you, if you'd be so kind. Uh, tell us a little bit about the biblical history Kevin Fisher of Mount yeah. Sinai. I, I say Sinai. People pronounce it differently, I guess. But uh, this mountain where Moses spent a lot of time and a lot of things happened there, things like Pentecost and Shavuot and things like that. I'm going to hand the baton to you, Kevin Fisher. Yes. Yeah, so there's a traditional site in the Sinai Peninsula that Constantine's psychic mother, self-proclaimed psychic mother, was it Helena? She pointed out a mountain there. And it gained traction in the 6th century. The Roman emperor uh, built a monastery at the St. Catherine's there at the foot of the mountain. And it gets, you know, all the attention and so forth. But it's in the wrong biblical location. Mm. We're told that uh, Moses fled to Midian. And it's there in Midian that he spoke to God there at the burning bush. And God says, bring my people back to this mountain. This was an event right next to the real Mount Sinai there in Saudi Arabia, northwest Saudi Arabia. Look on any ancient map. Look where Midian is located. It's always in northwest Saudi Arabia. Which is just you know, just, just at the foot, basically, of what would be Iran or in uh uh, in, in modern days, Iran, but in, in those days it was uh, um, I, I Iran, but in Persia, synonymous one with another. Is that correct? Yes, and, and today, you know, if you look on a modern map, just south of Jordan is this mountain area. Uh, it, the mountain is called Jabal el Laws. The specific peak is the smaller peak of that larger mountain. Um, Herschel Shanks in Newsweek magazine, he stated... Jabal El Laws is the most likely site for Mount Sinai. So uh, Herschel Shanks is the editor of the Biblical Archaeology Review. And so there's many people that have endorsed this. It's been on NBC television and so forth. Uh, Ron White risked his life in 1984 walking through the desert to get into Saudi Arabia to find this mountain. He was on uh, CBS television live talking about the site. So today... Um, we'll, we'll go more into the mountain in the next segment, but this first segment here, let's talk about uh, some of the evidence that's found on their journey before Mount Sinai, such as um, Elam. Elam was an oasis where there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees, and today you can still go to that site. It's west of the real Mount Sinai. There's an oasis there. Uh, you can park your car along the Gulf of Aqaba there. There's, it's actually a park, and you can um, walk three miles in through the wadi or canyon, and you come to this large oasis with these palm trees, and in that oasis there are still 12 wells. 
And so that matches the biblical account. We've taken uh, drone video of that area and so forth. It's a very beautiful area. It's, it's in the mountains there, the Elam site. And another site that they ran into was the split rock at Rephidim, where they defeated the Amalekites. Oh, the Amalekites. And, yes. yes. I'm studying yes. in the Amalekites and the Agagites uh, in the book of Esther right now. The Agagites were the bad guys, and uh, the, their sub-tribe uh, were, were the Amalekites. The, the, for I mean, quite a bit of biblical history tied to those guys. So you're hitting home with me, I'll tell you what. Yes. Kevin. Good. Yeah, and so this rock is 50 feet tall, and it sits on top of a 300-foot-tall hill. Um, and right down the middle of this rock, if you can imagine, a 50-foot-tall large rock, solid, is this huge crack where it was split in half. Oh, my. And you can walk through that crack, and there's a large amount of water erosion in the crack where this water was just gushing out. If you can imagine millions of gallons of water coming out, you know, every minute and creating a, a lake or a river there for the children of Israel. So Moses was told to strike that rock, and the water came gushing out. It was probably gushing straight up and also out the sides, it's just an incredible rock when you see a picture of it. It's just very impressive. And when you stand right next to it, you know, this thing is just, just massive. Uh, we were out there in November. And so that area, we've also found some uh, carvings in the rocks there consistent with um, what the children of Israel may have carved, such as uh, shapes of sandals. And oh God my. said, wherever you place your feet, I will give you that land. <laughs> if ever, they were drawing these sandals on the rock saying, hey, God, we were, we're here. placing our feet here. Oh, that's so good. We've got yeah. about a minute left, but we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. So yeah. how would you like to uh, transition from this? You've got about a minute and a half to transition, and we'll carry carry the baton into the next segment as well. Yeah. So, and so also near there is the modern-day town of Albad, but if you look on a, a detailed map, it says Mugair Shuayeb, which means the caves of Jethro. Oh, my. And that's where uh, Moses' father-in-law, those caves are named after him. And on the other side of the town there, you come to this uh, ancient well. It's called the Well of Moses. And these are sites that the government recognizes. Uh, all these sites I'm talking about, the government recognizes them as authentic. And so next we'll take a look at the real Mount Sinai. We'll see the uh, the Golden Calf Altar, the Blackened Peak, and so forth. Oh, so my goodness. This is incredible stuff that's been hidden from view, and it's just powerful, powerful I, I stuff. Know, it is. And, you know, my listening friend, here's the deal. The things that happened back then uh, not only happened in history, but they're illustrative for us today to be aware that God is true, his word is true, his mercy is true, but also his judgments and justice is true as well. It's time for us to take due account for the truth of Scripture and the God who authored the book of the books in Scripture and pay close attention because justice comes to the house of the Lord, but also judgment comes to and through the house of the Lord as well. We need to be prepared, but also we need to be aware so that we can uh, proclaim this stuff to other people so other people can be saved and go yeah. in grace and knowledge of the saving God himself. Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about this and so many other things, but we're going to continue on this discussion about Mount Sinai when 
Kevin Fisher, and Kaz come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Thank you, and welcome back, my listening friend, to Come Together San Diego. We're in the last hour of this broadcast. We've covered a lot of territory, literally a lot of Bible territory. We've been to Mount Ararat area, Noah's Ark, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Red Sea crossing. And now we're at a place called Mount Sinai or Mount Sinai. Some people pronounce it one way or t'other. I pronounce it Mount Sinai. But major biblical things happened there, and a lot of the important things that happened there are important for us today. And it is about uh, digging into God's Word and understanding His character. But a lot of negative things uh, were launched out from there. Can anybody say things like golden calf and things like that? So to help excavate this, um, Kevin Fisher is with me, and he's a protege of uh, Ron Wyatt, one of the great uh, discoverers and pioneers of our day, literally. I think, didn't he pass away in in, uh, 1999, Kevin? That's right, yes. Uh-huh. So I'm going to hand the baton to you. I want to give you as much time to excavate as you can. Mount Sinai is one of the most important places in Bible history, is it not? Yes, you know, that's where the tabernacle was built, uh, where God wanted to dwell with his people. They lived there for a year. It was a very significant site, and that's where the Ten Commandments, you know, were written on the tables of stone. And you know, given to Moses, a place in the Ark of the Covenant, very, very significant site. But uh, when you first come into the area, we normally come into the area from the south, and on your right, you'll look over, and there is the golden calf altar. It's a uh, a large collection of huge boulders where the golden calf was placed on top of this. And as you walk around, it's um, the diameter of these, the the pile of stones, you know, is probably a hundred feet across. My. But um, as you walk around them, you see these petroglyphs, these Egyptian-style apis bulls that have been inscribed on the sides of the rocks. You know, the children of Israel came from Egypt. They brought this style of the apis bull. They brought it over here to Mount Sinai, and they drew these apis bulls on the sides of the rock, and then the golden calf was placed on top, and this is where, you know, their their heathen dancing took place, and Aaron said he threw threw the gold in the fire, and out pops this uh, golden calf. Out pops this. (laughs) Yeah, like he he had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, that sounds so familiar, doesn't it? But uh, anyway, so... and then as you head toward the base of the mountain there, um, at the base of the mountain is uh, Moses' altar. It's got uh, five to six square altars that are probably about eight feet across. And leading up to them is a kind of an L-shaped large pen where the animals were brought into there. And then they would have been funneled over toward the altar area. And um, from there, you can just look up, look up the mountain. You see this peak 
uh, that's blackened. It's a blackened peak, and you know we're told that the mountain was a smoke. It was on fire as God spoke the Ten Commandments, and there was lightning, if you mm-hmm. can imagine. And so that blackened peak is from the fire that was that was burning. And I have a sample from there, and the bottom side of it is brown. But then when you turn it over, it's black. A friend of mine took his and uh, tried washing it off uh, using, like, a toothbrush under the water and, and washing it off, scraping yes. it, and he scraped off the black. So this is a superficial coating. This is uh, the remnants of that fire. And so, you know, this is matching the biblical account. And on the way up to the mountain, if you try to climb up there, you come to a plateau area where the 70 elders. That's what I was going to ask you about, the 70 elders. Yeah, they would have met with Moses in that area. And then also, if you were to head from there a little over to the east, away from the Blackened Peak on the same mountain, um, you see the cave of Elijah. Elijah, you know, went down to Mount Sinai yes, and stayed there in this cave, and he had a beautiful view out of his living room window there, uh, <laughs> the big, big valley below. I mean, he just sat back and relaxed uh, up high in this cave. And so the, the government there, Saudi Arabia, they recognized these apis bulls as, as being unique there at the Golden Calf Altar, yeah. for but instance. But how, how high is the mountain? Yes, the the mountain itself is about 8,000 feet elevation. It's a high desert area, so the valley itself um, is about 4,500 foot elevation. So, you know, it's about a 3,500 foot rise uh, up up to the the peak itself. But uh, the government there, they have put up fences around the mountain, fences around the Golden Calf Altar. The government recognizes this, you know, as unique. Uh, they're building a road when we're out there in November. They were, they're building a highway out to this. Right now you're having to travel 14 miles down this sandy sandy road to get to it. But the government is building a nice paved road to this mountain and also to the Split Rock. Both places they're building a road. We saw their heavy machinery out there. Nice. So the government is endorsing all these sites there uh, in Saudi Arabia. Which is which is wonderful. There's going to be more tourists coming out there, but the state that these are in, it they're in your pure state. They've not been adulterated in any way. It's just incredible. And going out there, I've been to Israel many times, but going to these sites there in Saudi Arabia is just as exciting as, as going to Israel. Oh my! But, but, but burgeoning within this Mount Sinai or Mount Sinai. Are messages from God too, and that that one of the th- obviously the building of the tabernacle of Moses, the instructions and so forth are remarkable. That uh, is is a story that carries with Moses all the way into the Promised Land. That the with the Ark of the Covenant and everything, and the actual uh, structure of the tabernacle of Moses. But one of the messages is beware of golden calf worship, and sometimes the children of Israel found themselves worshiping the golden calf. And that obviously speaks to us today. I mean, there's yes. a lot of things that are tied to uh, what you call um, foreign God or idol worship going on yes. in in America and other nations as well. And what a message this is for us. We need to keep our eyes focused on God and not whatever our illustration of a golden calf or an idol is. 
because uh, there's danger. Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> yes, and a golden calf could come in many forms. Exactly. Such as uh, what's taking our time away from God? Ooh. You know, what are we doing, wasting our time doing something else other than, you know, getting close to God and having a true relationship? So there's there's many distractions out there uh, in this modern age and so forth. So, but but yes, the site there is is totally legit. Look look on your maps at, at Midian. Midian, you'll see it's over in Saudi Arabia. Jabal El Laz is the tallest mountain. I've looked on this really detailed map of Saudi Arabia, and the upper two thirds of the country, this is the tallest mountain. And historians have said that Mount Sinai is the tallest of mountains in the area, and that's what this is. It's, you, you know, I, I have to admit, my orientation of this location, you talk about uh, media, uh, media, the Midianites and media, M-E-D-I-A, and it's probably God is aware of the spelling and how it could deal with the lies of the, the media these days as well. But this place, which was just south of uh, Iran or Persia, uh, where, where was, the, was that area of Midian a broader area than it is today? In other words, did it uh, expand further southward and uh, westward as well during that time frame? I mean, that that would help me comprehend the location here of Mount Sinai, because I thought Mount Sinai was more, uh, a, a little bit more uh, south and uh, westward, but but my orientation must be wrong. Yeah, so, you know, the, the Red Sea crossing, if you go east from that Red Sea crossing area, uh, approximately 20 miles, then you're in the area there of Mount Sinai. Oh, I see. So this this fits the biblical account in Albad, that town where uh, Jethro had his caves. It's actually have, actually have a museum there today of the government recognizing the site. Uh, you can see Mount Sinai in the distance. Oh so Moses probably would take his sheep over to that area, which it may have been um, 10 miles or so, um, and that's probably where the burning bush incident took place on the backside of right. Mount Sinai. And Jethro and everything else is in that area as well, huh? Yes. So, I mean, everything just matches beautifully. Oh uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful, you know, how God has preserved this. Again, it goes against the traditional site over in the Sinai Peninsula, which yeah. there's, there's no evidence there. It's just based on tradition. We've got to be careful. Yes. Following tradition, tradition can mislead us in, yeah. in, in, in biblical doctrine or, in this case, in archaeology. Yes. We can be misled, and we miss out on the blessing of the real site. These real sites are, are a true blessing to us. Yes. L- let me go into the spiritual here for just a second, uh, if you'd be so kind, Kevin, because we're yeah. running out of this segment where we can continue yeah. this discussion as we transition into the Ark of the Covenant. You talk about... Uh, Moses and the tabernacle of Moses, but on it was on Mount Sinai or Mount Sinai where he was given the instructions for the the construction of not only the the Ark of the Covenant but also the tabernacle of Moses. We'll talk more about that, but I want to get to this on the spiritual side of this, my friend. Uh, you you were so astute, Kevin, in talking about there are different kinds of idols that we worship today, and they are, are something that takes our attention away from God. So as we yeah. close this segment, I just want to encourage you, my listening friend, we, we just we need to take a new account of our life and uh, God's uh, impact on our life. And, and if we are 
you know, uh, substituting other things for God and godliness. We are substituting the value of just going to church <clears throat> rather than being the church. We could be in ma- major danger. It's time for us to take an account of these things. So, Kevin Fisher, uh, I invite you to come back with me. We'll talk a little bit more about the Ark of the Covenant. And obviously, these things were instituted through Moses' obedience on the Mount and crafting the Tabernacle of Moses and the Ark of the Covenant. We'll talk more about those things and so much more, my listening friend, when we come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the new live local show on K-Praise. Here's Cass Taylor. Can you believe it, my listening friends? Finally, the last two segments of this broadcast, I've been earmarking these last two segments because I knew that my co-host, Kevin Fisher, was going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. We just got done talking a little bit about Mount Sinai, or Mount Sinai, and... uh, this is the Mount Sinai, or Mount Sinai is a place that Moses received the instructions to build the tabernacle of Moses, but also a beautiful, beautiful uh, piece of furniture. You could say it's much more than just a piece of furniture, but it's called the Ark of the Covenant. It's uh, gold and shittim wood, uh, and uh, it was remarkable, and it still is, by the way, my listening friend. Uh, Kevin Fisher, I've been excited to talk, have you talk about this because this is one of my favorite topics as a Bible enthusiast and a, a student of Scripture, because this Ark of the Covenant carries weight not only in the yesterday, but in the King David days and in the present-day times and into the future as well. How remarkable. So, And I was just studying through looking it up again during the commercial break. Exodus 31 talks about the actual crafting of this beautiful uh, golden uh, piece of furniture, if you will. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And the guy who created it, who was a craftsman that Moses assigned, was a guy named Bezalel. He was from the tribe of Judah. And then there was another person by the name of Aholiab uh, who actually created the coverings and things like that. Most spectacular uh, structure uh, imaginable. I'm going to hand the baton to you. Tell us a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant as it ties into Moses and his directives on the, uh, Mount Sinai and what happened from there. Kevin Fisher. Yes, so Kaz, um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is considered the earthly throne of God. Wow, it sat in the Holy <laughs> of Holies. Yes. The Holy of Holies, which was closed except for one day a year, you know, the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go in there, and and he would cast the blood toward the eastern side of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. This was a yearly uh, Day of Atonement where the sins of the people would be atoned for, and it was a very important ceremony. And everyone in the um, children of Israel there were to get right with God, you know, confess their sins and so forth. So the Ark of the Covenant was where the Shekinah glory of God would actually hover over top of this. My. It was it was a light. It was giving off light. And God wanted to dwell with his people. Today, he can dwell in our hearts, which is very handy. Hey, all I got to do you know, is give my heart to God and ask for the Holy Spirit to come in and guide and direct me. And 
God, God can be with me. He can, unless you have idol worship going on in that same heart. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You've got to get rid of self. I tell you, self is such a big problem. Um, so we got to we got to die to self daily, you know. So, but um, Maccabees, Second Maccabees, it speaks of uh, the Ark of the Covenant being hidden, and this would have been around the time the Babylonian army in 586 BC was about to destroy Jerusalem. And so these temple furnishings had to be hidden in a cave before the temple was destroyed. And that's what happened. And so in 1978, Ron Wyatt was walking through the Garden Tomb grounds. He ran into, head, ran into the head of antiquities there for the Jerusalem area and got to speaking with a gentleman. And Ron told him about finding Noah's Ark the previous year, about finding the chariot wheels down at Nueva and the gentleman said, why don't you walk through here, the back of the garden, and see what you can see. And so as they were walking through the back of the garden, his left arm stuck out, and God spoke through his mouth. There's Jeremiah's grotto, and, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden. Oh, wow. My, my, and Ron my. thought, this is a supernatural event that just took place. He was thinking to himself, you know, why did those words come out of my mouth? Why did my arm point down there? <laughs> and so he went back to America and started studying. Could this be real? Was this God using my arm, or was this the devil tricking me, you know? But he understood that the ark was probably, according to Maccabees, you know, hidden, hidden in a cave, and it could be under the ground there. And so from January 79 to January of 82, he worked on this dig there with the permit from the Israel Antiquities Authority, and so in January 6, 1982, he entered the cave and saw the Ark of the Covenant in there. It was in a stone box. Oh, my. So he could not, could not see it immediately. But anyway, on his fourth trip in there, which was around 1989, uh, the cave had been cleaned out. These angels had cleaned out the cave. And there were four men or angels standing there around the Ark of the Covenant. Are you saying were, angels, literally angels? They look like men. They look like men, but these were angels looking like men. And they said, we're the four angels guarding the Ark of the Covenant. Set up your tripod and film what's about ready to happen. And he did that. And they lifted up the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And they said, reach in and take the Ten Commandments out. The world needs to see these. He reached in and took them out. They put the mercy seat down. And as he was holding them there, they took the Ten Commandments out of his hands and placed them on a stone shelf there in the cave. And they told him that after the Mark of the Beast law is enforced, these Ten Commandment stones will come out of the cave to be a testimony to the world. Wow. And now, when Jesus was crucified, the Roman soldiers had a cross hole there where they would put the cross in. God influenced these Roman soldiers to put a cross hole directly above the Ark of the Covenant, 20 feet above. We're told that the rocks were rent or split. There was an earthquake. The earthquake went next to that cross hole. When Jesus' side was pierced by the Roman soldier, water and blood came out and fell down through that crack and made its way down to the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Are you saying this is, what what's the terminology, the mountain of the skull or something? Is that where the... Yes, this is near Golgotha, the mountain, yeah, the, the skull face. This is where the executions were taking place. There's cutouts in the rock face there above the cross hole 
where signs were placed, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You can see those cutouts in the stone yes, face. Yes. Stone. So you're, you're, you're saying the crosses went atop that mountain, and the, that mountain area is an air, the area right above the cave where the Ark of the Covenant was stored? Well, is that what you're saying? The, the crucifixion site is not on top of the mountain. It's it's up against the face or escarpment okay. of the mountain, just like Golgotha is up against the side of the mountain. This is, too. It just continues around. If you head to the west from Golgotha, uh, you're, you're coming to this crucifixion site. And today, the site is labeled the deck in the Garden Tomb grounds. There's a deck there. And you can see these cutouts in the rock face. So this blood went down and landed on the western side of the Ark of the Covenant. When the high priest went in there for hundreds of years, God told them to cast the blood to the east. So all the blood the blood of bulls and goats went to the eastern side of the mercy seat, leaving a vacant western side. Why? Because <laughs> the blood of the Son of God would go there one day and fulfill Daniel 9.24 to anoint the most holy. Please look that up, folks. Daniel 9.24, the most holy is is the Ark of the Covenant. That's why it's called the most holy place. And so Ron's fourth visit there in the cave, the angel said, take a sample of the blood, that's Jesus' blood, and take it to a lab. Okay, we're going to stop you right there because we have to take a break, but this is a good place to stop you. So a a sample of the blood taken from the Ark, the mercy seat on the Ark, was taken and diagnosed... Uh, and so we can talk a little bit more about this yes. is absolutely blowing my mind. And yeah, I, ha- I have to be honest with you. Some of these things I have to reconcile a little bit because my previous points of view and this don't necessarily align. So and I think this yeah. is a good thing, my friend. It ca- causes us to dig into the scripture and allow Holy Spirit to give clarification for th- things sure. a- as they are. So would, can we pause for a moment and take a yeah. commercial break and then come right back? <laughs> I can hardly wait to hear this story about the blood samples that were taken yes. and what the assessment was of it's those amazing. things. amazing, yes. Uh, yes. I, 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 I'm stuttering. I don't know what to say. Kevin Fisher, we're going to talk more about this. We talk about the Ark of the Covenant and what it means to you uh, my friend, not only to you today, but what it meant yesterday and it will, what it will mean for humanity forever. <laughs> we'll talk more about that when Kevin Fisher and I come right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K Praise. Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor on K Praise. Well, welcome back, my friends, to the very last segment of Come Together San Diego. What a remarkable broadcast. We've delved into so many historical archaeological areas of Scripture, Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Red Sea crossing, Mount Sinai, and now we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant uh, created by Moses and his artisans, uh, and uh, it is perhaps the most holy of all holy pieces of furniture and the most logical place for the most holy piece of furniture would be in a place called the Holy of Holies. I'm going to hand the baton back to Kevin Fisher to tell more about this. But, you know, this is this is an area, of, so far as a topic, that I've heard a number of other things and se- seem to be substantiating evidence elsewhere regarding the Ark of the Covenant. And you're, you're saying it is right beneath the area where Jesus was crucified and the blood yes. dripped down upon the mercy street yes. to fulfill... 
that, and you were talking about blood specimens. So continue that. But I want to talk to you just briefly about the possibility that there may be other arcs created uh, that had been created that were ferreted off to other areas uh, in uh, Bible areas. Um, it doesn't seem like it's too far fetched that God could have other people, uh, you know, craftsmen create those as well for little head fakes about where to look for the thing. But I'm going to hand it to you. Uh, okay. Tell us about the blood specimens and uh, I'm, I, so yeah, hard to breathe after, here. After, yeah, after the children of Israel came back from Babylon, they had a, a golden table that was used in the in the um, second temple, but. Um, so Ron got instructions from the angel to take a sample of blood, have it analyzed in the lab there, and so he took it to a reputable lab there in Israel. They uh, reconstituted it for three days, and then for two days they put it in a growth medium, and Ron said, I want to be here when you take it out. And so he showed up there, and they put it under, under the microscope, and this blood of Jesus was alive. After thousands of years. After 2,000 years, his blood had not died. And so that's the first (laughs) amazing thing. And they said, this is human blood. So they said it was human. It was alive. Wow. And so uh, Ron said, now do a chromosome test. Ron's following the instructions of the angel. Oh, my. The XY chromosomes. Yeah, you can only do chromosome tests on live blood. Now, they took a white blood cell, and they pulled out the chromosomes, and it only had 24 chromosomes. Now, you and I have 46, 23 from each parent. <laughs> but this blood that's unique has 23 chromosomes from Mary and one Y sex-determinant chromosome from God, making 24 chromosomes. Oh, my. There's only one earthly parent involved here. Oh. This this blood is proving that, yes, Jesus truly was the, the Messiah. He truly was the Son of God. And this evidence of the blood, the Ten Commandments, this evidence is going to come out during the Mark of the Beast showdown, and people are going to see that, yes, Jesus was the Messiah. And so if you're going to receive the seal of God during this Mark of the Beast showdown, you have to accept Jesus into your heart, ask forgiveness of your sins, and then through the Holy Spirit living in you, you can then keep the Ten Commandments that are coming out of the cave. Now, Revelation 14.12 describes those who are the saints. The 14.11 describes those who have the mark of the beast. And 14.12 says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments Commandments. of God and the faith of Jesus. So at the time during the mark of the beast showdown, if you're keeping the commandments of God, you're a saint. And you're not going to receive the mark of the beast. So, friends, that is key, Revelation 14, 12. And so, is the ark truly there? Now, we've conducted 40 tests above ground using a frequency detector. It's all on video. And the frequency detector confirmed that there's a large amount of gold in that exact, exact Mm. spot that Ron Wyatt said. You could even detect it from 100 feet away above ground. Oh my. This gold, this is a frequency detector set to detect the frequency of gold. And there's zero doubt in my mind that, you know, it, that it's, it's there. 
uh, it's totally, totally real, and this is part of God's plan. Now, would God have used a liar? You know, is Ron Wyatt lying about this? Ron Wyatt never allowed any photos out. He never showed the lab report, although I ran into a person that does have the clear photographs of the Ark of the Covenant. I ran into another person that has seen the lab report on the blood. So these la- this lab report is certifiable? Yes. Yes, it was uh, Henry Groover's on YouTube talking about uh, three lab reports being confirmed by a document specialist in front of him in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, before a full gospel businessman presentation that Ron was going to do. And oh the expert said, this doc, these documents are 100% authentic. And I, I've talked to someone here in Tennessee that said they saw one of the lab reports. So Ron had the lab reports. He had clear photographs, but he never made these public because he knew God had a timing yes. for this incredible evidence to come out when it's the most powerful. That's during the Mark of the Beast showdown when everyone's eternal destiny is at stake. And you're going to get up against the forces of darkness, the deception Dear God. So yes, yes, put yes. out by the devil. And so, Cass, this is 100% real. There's, there's no hocus-pocus trichinosis going on here. <laughs> God has preserved this stuff in a big way because he loves everyone. Yes. He's going to stop winking at ignorance. He's not going to say, well, you're a Muslim. I'm going to wink at your ignorance. You know, No, the winking of ignorance is gone. Yes. When this time period comes, the Ten Commandments come out, the blood of Jesus, you have to accept Jesus into your heart, ask forgiveness of your sins in Jesus' name, allow the Holy Spirit to come into your heart, and then follow the Ten Commandments. That's the only way to make it through the Mark of the Beast showdown, and God has a perfect plan for everyone on earth to see this evidence, to give their heart to Jesus. This is their last chance, and listener out there, if you're not following Jesus, please give your heart to him. Think about your eternity. We, we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah and the Red Sea crossing where God was, was helping his people, but he had to destroy the wicked. And at the flood, billions of people died because they hardened their heart. They did not listen to God and come on board the boat. So the boat today is is Jesus. We yeah. have got to get on yes. board with Jesus. He's our captain. And, and time's running out, Kaz. A- absolutely. The, the other the other analogy to that is the Passover lamb and the and the blood and the blood that was placed on the lentil and you know on the doorpost and anybody yes. who believed they placed that blood on the doorpost yes. and, and they were spared and here's yes. my here's my uh, incentive or my encouragement as we do the, the uh, kind of a wrap up and a summary here because we have about three minutes left yes. on this, Kevin. My listening friend, and you can jump on in anytime you want. We've got three minutes left. Let me just spend a quick moment here then I'm going to let you help me close it. But my listening friend, here's the deal. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he's given us thousands of years of opportunity to be able to weigh and pray. And also, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit is alive and well and desiring to reside in your heart. And Holy Spirit will, like with uh, uh, Ron Wyatt, Holy Spirit stirred him, and he did, God used him to communicate some major revolutions and revelations. And so my listening friend, that same Holy Spirit will is dwelling, can dwell in you if you will allow Holy Spirit to do so. Amen. And we are in a time where we can't depend on, oh, I, this feels good, or I think this is right, or, you know, I, 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 it's okay for me to do this little idol worship thing to do this, but I, I shouldn't do the other thing. No, no, no. Holy Spirit has to direct us, and we have to entrust God's Holy Spirit through the Son 
to the Father, because that's really the only way of salvation, especially in these times where the enemy is going to use every trick he's got. Yeah. We've got about a minute and a half. I'm going to let you close it, and I'm going to have to, when it gets to the type, t- yeah. time frame, I'm going to have to close the show down. Yeah, so Kaz, I believe in the 7,000-year theory, and that is there'll yes. be 6,000 years of sin here on earth. Christ will return, and we'll have a 1,000 years yes. in the New, new Jerusalem, 7,000 years in total. We're told that 1,000 years is as a day to God. So this will be a week of time, and after that 7,000 years, Christ will recreate this earth, the new earth. New heaven and a new earth. Yes, yes. And, I, and I believe that the 6,000th year is going to be up in this decade. And so, oh, friends, Say that again I, slowly. <laughs> yes. I feel 100% confident the 6,000th year is up in this decade. Oh, my. Okay, so time is running out. The Mark of the Beast showdown is coming very, very soon. This is not some uh, 200-year-away deal, the Mark of the Beast showdown. It's going to happen in this decade, and we need to get real with God, get right with God, and help others. It's not just about us. That's we right. need to get right. We need to help our, our, our friends and family get right, too, and make it to the kingdom. We need to enlarge God's kingdom, because Satan's trying oh, absolutely. to enlarge his own. That's right. We need, we need to help God and, and help our fellow man have a, a, a love for souls. Yes, yes, yes. Once again, the website where people can dig into this. My, my listening friend, here's the deal. God's Holy Spirit within you can, can confirm or deny things. And so neither Kevin or I want to force you to believe something. You have to allow Holy Spirit to convict and convince of you and then be obedient. And I tell you what, if you're doing that, God's going to be happy because well done, good and faithful servant. And so, so my hard. listening friend, it's time for us to go away. Ke- yeah. Kevin Fisher, thank you beyond words yeah. for joining us here. My listening friend, I hope you've been stirred as well. I'll tell you what, <clears throat> time is at hand for us to be serious about God because from creation— He has been serious about us. My listening friend, it's time for us to go. My thanks to Kevin Fisher and you, my listening friends. More great stuff coming up on Come Together San Diego every single Saturday. God bless you. Thanks for joining Cass Taylor and his many friends, including you, for Come Together San Diego. Join us again next week as we explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within this county and beyond on Come Together San Diego. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a co-worker, and then let's all come together San Diego next Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 